Yeah. yeah JC Mendoza. Ted Jones. Good to see you, buddy. My We're God. live. We're getting straight into it. Let's do it, man. This is How perfect. you doing, man? I'm chilling, man. It's nasty out there today. It's, it's a, a scorcher, bro. It's the humidity, and I feel like the middle of July, it always gets you. Yeah, it's, and especially with, with this hair, like I feel like it's like 15 Oh, yeah, bro. Okay, higher, yeah. so I had... I mean, not, obviously not as long as yours, but uh, like I had hair where I was just able to like put it in a bun a little bit. Uh-huh. And then anytime I've, I've had that probably like three or four times in my life. And then right around this time, I always end up just getting a buzz cut. I can't control it. it. Is, that's the smart thing to do. But the thing about me is that I'm a fucking idiot. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm so dumb. And like my hair has become such a central part of, especially my comedy. Like I have a whole nother set for when like I rarely go on stage without my hair out. But if I do, I have like a whole different set. Because I have so many jokes that have to do with my hair. Do you ever put it up? I do. I have a joke where I put it up on stage. That's always a lot of fun. And then uh, sometimes I'll get braids and I have to do a whole nother like, set list. Because <laughs> some you, of my material have, doesn't have hit. Have you been like a long hair guy your whole life? No. So I was uh, always a short hair guy like all my whole life. And then I think in 2016, I did a short film with one of my good friends. And then um, the the deal that I made with myself was I'm not cutting my hair until we get this short film made into a feature. And obviously, it's never been made into a feature. <laughs> so you're still waiting. And I just, yeah, I'm still waiting. And that's probably one of the only things that could get me to cut my hair, but I love it. I, I'm so attached do to it. Do you ever get trims? I do. I have, a, I have a, a curly cut lady that I go to. I never go to barbers no more because barbers, you know, they, they're very unreliable. Oh, okay. So you need I'm like a, big, a professional. I, yeah. uh, Is just it like, like a salon style? Yes, I go to a salon. I have a lady that touches my hair only once. She's the only person I go to. And then uh, for my beard and stuff, I do all that myself. How yeah. much do you pay for that little trim, if you so don't mind me asking? Probably, you should be going twice a year for hair like mine. But I probably go once every 18 months and I pay about like 150 oh, okay for the trim right. just so to you make, make it sh- worth it yeah cause it's gotta you gotta get the shape you gotta get Word. the whole wash she's I like feel a, you cause she does the hair and she's also a fucking um like a hair doctor so she'll tell me how you've been putting too much product in try this product to like see what interesting so you're like yeah. a hair pro at this point yes you think. yes I, I could start a page right now and it's, it's it's something that I'm looking at doing because I don't see a lot of curly man representation all, all, yeah, all of my shit is I get from from ladies with way nicer hair than mine but it's, so I mean yeah, throughout I my whole life I've been probably like at anywhere from like a two to four haircut a uh, year kind of guy uh, uh, like I would just let it grow long and then maybe at one point I would just be like alright I'm super uncomfortable I'm gonna buzz it yeah, facts. Or, but I mean it's never really been a okay I gotta get my hair cut like every three weeks like mm. that's how much the barber wants you to come yeah, in and yeah, see yeah, them yeah, like, yeah, yeah to, to get a good visit get a good haircut you gotta visit your barber every For three real. weeks which I'm not doing I, I feel just like, go, I, like get it long and then buzz it get it long and buzz it yeah barber barbers want us to uh, uh, make such a toxic relationship with them like yo you want to go outside like that damn I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you do that up. before you come and see me I think like if you want to look good you should probably come back in and, and the thing is I think most guys probably our age are getting a haircut at least every six yeah. weeks or so yeah, yeah a lot especially like I don't know man I feel like a lot of my homies do it almost every week now because just just especially if they're working corporate like just to stay sharp and then you know it does it does I do remember getting shape ups and tape ups and fades and like feeling so much better than I felt like I feel like my eyes are greener when I got a haircut I just felt like everything was better so when I used to wake up with long hair there would be I'd say probably at least four, maybe sometimes five days out of the week mm. where like during the summer, I'd be like, yo, this is freaking annoying. Yeah. I just want to buzz my head. How often do you feel that way? I never feel that way because I'm used to it. I do know sometimes I'm like, yo, I'm hot. And sometimes I wake like I have to build an extra hour into my day. Not that it takes an hour to do my hair, but just to make sure. Because like today I haven't washed my hair since last like Thursday. 
So like my hair is a little bit drier now So I got to like but I had to decide I was like Am I going to wash it before this podcast Or can I make it work And I made it work So I don't decide to, oh, okay, to okay, cut okay. it Okay okay So you didn't watch it I, We had Molly Kornfeld uh, Female comic on yeah, the podcast yeah, She Molly. asked me As soon as she came in She was like So I have a question I was hot as F today It was like one of these humid days She's like Ted how often do you wash your hair And I told her that like Until I was in 8th grade Like end of 8th grade I was washing my hair With head and shoulders Probably every single day I was yeah, in the shower yeah, yeah. And then apparently The middle school principal Was like telling me How boys one are not Supposed to condition their hair yeah. I don't know if like I should have listened to her or whatever. I think that's crazy. But then, <laughs> but then, like, on top of that, I had no idea how much, like, guys, I feel like, don't get any direction on how yeah. to treat their hair. It's kind yeah. of like, I don't want to say taboo, but besides us just getting it cut and getting a good fade or yeah. shape, guys really never talk about their hair. Masculinity, toxic masculinity really picks the weirdest hills to die on. They're like, yo, <laughs> yeah. if you condition you're your right, hair, bro. you're a bitch. And I'm like, that's crazy. Any sort of primping, I feel yeah, like. The man, pedicures, manicures. I've gotten maybe two manicures in my life. Mm. I always invited them. I gotta yeah, get more. I'm, and I'm that, and then I've never gotten a pedicure. Yeah, me neither. I'm, I mean, I'm open to it, but I, I bite my shit. I bite my shit. Yeah, apparently, you ever put the like Dwayne Reed stuff on it that tastes like shit? No, that's smart. I've got to do that. My whole thing is, if LeBron James bites his nails, I'm biting my nails. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, he, he bites his nails and him. he's great, so I'm gonna buy my nails too. That's what I tell everybody. That's what I'm going with. But like pedicure, I be with. But I just like my nails. I just they, they, they taste delicious, bro. I don't All know right, man. So is. let's uh, let's talk about your life. Let's start from the beginning. Okay. How you got into comedy? Okay. Where you grew up? And um, um, we yeah. see you all over. So let us know. Bet. All right. So me, uh, I'm born and raised in New York. I grew up in Long Island, uh, Valley Stream, New York. Stand up. That's what's up. Oh, did you go to Valley Stream High School? Uh, Valley Stream Central. Yeah. Okay. Valley Stream I Central. knew um, a couple kids because I played tennis competitively like throughout high school. Oh, so, like, are you from Long Island good... too? No, I'm from uh, Manhattan, but like okay. I would go out to those tournaments all yeah. the time. I play kids like I'm not sure if you're familiar, like Dennis Zvolbinski, Bert Van Cura. Guys who like Maybe. went to Columbia, Fairfield, okay. just like guys tennis. who, yeah, yeah, good yeah. guys who played like, um, uh, like college tennis at a high level. So I'm familiar with a lot of high schools. Word, in Long word, Island, yeah. Long anyway, Island's got a big tennis scene for for whatever reason, but yeah, I grew up in Long Island in Valley Stream, and um, I went to St. John's, and that's when I moved to Queens, and I've been in Queens ever since. And comedy was a was a long weird journey, right? So like, I used to make funny Snapchat stories like when I was in college, because that was like how that was my way to get girls to reach out to me first. You know what I'm saying? Because I felt thirsty like trying to DM girls. Wait, and but would you to fire them. out like the same one to multiple girls? So like, no, no, no. So I would just make stories, right? Like funny Snapchat stories. Like I put things that just made people laugh, and the way that I would get girls to talk to me is like, oh my god, that's so funny. Be like, yeah, what are you doing Friday? Dude, fuck, I remember you know that. Like, I wish that was still a thing. Yeah, maybe was, it that, is for you. But like other people, me, yeah. the younger generation still uses it. But like I remember Yeah like Beginning of college Like that was hot That was yeah, the thing to do Yeah and, and that was like that Cause I've, I've always been Like super self conscious About approaching people first Cause I, I always feel awkward When I know I want something Like if I want to get To know this girl She can't know That I want to get To know her So I feel weird So the way that I would Break that barrier Was through like Making people laugh So I did that in college And then I had a friend who was dating the assistant of Cypher Sounds, you know, the DJ yeah, Cypher yeah. Sounds. So Cypher Sounds, right? This is a weird-ass story, right? So I had a friend who was dating Cypher Sounds' assistant, and she was telling him how, you know, she's looking for comedians because Cypher's cast in this MTV2 show that he's working on. And my friend was like, oh, I have a friend that he doesn't do comedy, but he's a funny dude. I think you would be good for it. And then, long story short, he put me in contact with this girl. I sent this girl, like, my, like some Snapchat stories that I had say. She's like, cool, I'll show you this to Cypher. If he likes them, we'll get you an audition. I was like, cool, I wasn't expecting nothing from it. And then she was like, yo, Cypher, I thought they were funny. Here's a packet. Like, we're, we want you to come in tomorrow for this uh, audition for the show called Joking Off. I don't know if you remember that. I remember that. It I was remember some, that. How many years ago was this? This was 2015, 2016. Was your hair short at the time? Hair was short. Actually, I might have been, been, like, you know, short on the sides, but, like, long on top. I think that's what it, I was short on the sides, long on top. 
like with the little top knot. That's what it's called. Kind of like how Leo has his shit now, but mine is yeah, you know I was how Leo like Leo has it like really short. Yeah, super here short here, but super long up there. But mine was like a little shorter than that, and I had no tattoos on my head, obviously. But that's how my hair was then. And then uh, I went into this audition, and it's the first time that I'd ever done anything like you know show business related? entertainment related like I, I thought I was funny but I not I never thought of it professionally well just quickly did you do like school plays nope. or stuff like that ever? no no the, I used to like recite Kevin Hart stand like I used to love to memorize stand up but it wasn't a thing that I ever thought that I wanted to do so um Cypher's was like oh this shit is cool come do the audition I get to the audition at a like some MTV studio and it's a lot of like I saw randomly the only person in that room that I recognized you ever seen the movie ATL yeah You know the dude They called him New York Like the dude He was in the audition room. I'm like holy shit It's You're that guy And right, it's like right, right, right. So this is a random dude I can't even I know he's a rapper too I just can't remember his name But I'm like oh this is pretty cool So I go in there And I had been preparing jokes all night And the way that the show was structured Like they'd show you a picture And you basically had to Come up with a funny caption for So a little the spot. improv Kind of But they would give me the packet beforehand But they would mix in stuff That I hadn't seen yet To see how good I was on my feet Right So they're throwing pictures up And I'm like I had prepared really intensely Because I'm like I don't want to fuck this up I don't want to look like a dickhead So like I, I was like Ringing jokes off Just saying funny shit Because it's pr- basically Like creating live tweets You know what I'm saying And then like I'm cooking I'm cooking Then they put one up That I hadn't seen And I made it uh, Like I'm I kind of remixed the song uh, "Lifestyle" by Young Thug and and uh, yeah, that's a li- and, and when I said that, like the room, it, yeah, I said that shit and the room exploded. And it was like, yo, this kid is good. So they brought me back for like a couple auditions. Like, Saif was like, yo, you're going to get on this show. I was like, cool. I ended up meeting like Akashing during this. Like, uh, this is when Deezus and Meryl was getting started. They was in the audition process. Um, so like, I saw a lot of people that like I'd seen on TV. And then I make it all the way to the final round of auditions, which is like the fourth round. And I bombed terribly. Right, because I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm way out of my depth, but I bomb terribly. I don't get on the show. But Cypher's like, yo, don't worry about it. We'll get you on next season, and like, I'll fuck with you. Like, because that's when he was like, not starting out, but he was like getting into stand up more seriously. And then uh, they brought me back for the next season auditions. I did the same thing, did really well, got to the final, and bombed. And then Cypher's like, yo, don't worry about it. Come to my studio in Jersey and like help write. We're gonna write sketches. We're gonna write jokes. It's gonna be cool. So I went to Jersey, and that's where I met, uh, you know, Julio Diaz. Yeah. So I met Julio Diaz. His man's Julio Rivera. Um, Trinidad and this dude Evan and this dude Tone we all met at Cypher uh, I met them at Cypher Studio and then from there on that's where Julio was like yo I'm gonna do stand up comedy that was like five years ago five six maybe seven years ago and from then Julio was like pedal to the metal like and he's gonna he's one of the biggest in the city right now and me when I got there I was too nervous like still not really knowing if stand up was my thing if I wanted to be writing and then for uh, at the same amount of time Julio was doing it I was like in and out Like going to mics I'd have a good mic I'd go back The next day I had a bad mic I wouldn't go back for six months You know what I'm saying And then it wasn't until 20, 20 Late 2019 Early 2020 That I was like Yo I'm going to mics Every single day Well between the season one And season two And mm-hmm. then I guess the You went three times To joking off The two times of joking okay. off Okay between season two and season three. So in between those two times Were you like at mics Trying to write material I was what? at mics sparingly Like still nervous Like Nervous to be bad still Bro it's you know freaking it's crazy such a weird thing. Like those first five mics It's really rare to hear yeah, somebody man. do five mics In the five consecutive weeks yeah. You know what I mean Like just the beginning It's tough Facts And I don't, I don't know how it was for you When you found it And I'm sure like I would love to hear it For me it was like I don't know why I felt so much pressure You know what I'm saying And and like now The type of comedian that I, I feel like I am Like I look back at who I was a couple years ago I'm like ah. Oh. You just didn't understand that it doesn't matter if you do the best of the world. It's just you have to go. And the only way you're going to get better is you keep going, you keep going. And it took me years to realize that. So I was bullshitting for like five, six years until like 2020. I was like, yo, fuck it. I'm going all in. Like, I'm going to go to a mic every day. Started getting booked on shows. Pandemic hit. And I was like, fuck. And then uh, I was in a relationship at the time. And my then girlfriend knew Max from college, Max Mantikoff. 
And he saw through her page that I like had a couple stand up pictures up like from mics and shit. He was like, yo, I'm bringing my show to New York. Um, I want him on it because I don't know nobody out there and I feel like it'd be fun. So I bought every person that I ever knew to the park, Athens Square in Astoria. Made it, we packed it out. It was like, it had to be 100 people out there. And that was for a Street Talk Comedy Street, Show? The first Street Talk Comedy Show in New York. It was crazy. I have video, like Jared Waters has a really good video up on his page from that show. It was like a fucking theater. It was crazy. And um, it was my first show. I bought everybody that I know. And I don't think Max knew it was my first show because I didn't want to, you know, be embarrassed and I didn't want him to take me off. So... I'm following Jared Waters. As Jared Waters on stage, Jared Waters, you know, is a fucking killer. He's one of the best in the city. So this is my first show. He's going, and as he's up, the mic cuts out, right? So the mic cuts out, and there's, like, mad kids. We're in a New York park, so there's mad kids like, oh, y'all are fucking trash. They're throwing basketballs from the court at Jared. It's, like, it's crazy. But, like, the show comes together. Jared rocks it for, like, 15 minutes. And then I go after Jared, and it's my first show. And I was supposed to do 10. I ended up doing 15, just, like, spit-firing every joke that I've ever come up with. And it was ama- it was so much fun. Like, I was very lucky that that show went well. Dude, also doing 15 on yeah, your first I didn't show even real- Yeah, I didn't even realize it. I was just like, yo, I'm, I'm writing in down the zone. I'm saying everything that I've ever prepared and like it went well for me well enough for me I'm sure if I watch that set now there's a lot of things I would not like there's many jokes I don't say anymore but it went well Max was like yo this is great come to my next one and then from there me and Max just stayed a little team we've been doing street talk ever since and it's been comedy you know all the time now was there like a show that you went to maybe in Manhattan and Astoria during the times that you were doing open mics where you were like alright that guy's not that great alright maybe that guy's not that great I can go up there and do just mm-hmm. as well as him so I never really had that moment when I was doing mics because I feel like a problem that I not a problem but I had I had comedy on too high of a pedestal like comedy is an art and I love it and I appreciate it but I think it's important for especially for comedians to take it off of that pedestal like oh you gotta like only certain people can do it no anybody can try comedy I don't believe everybody can be great but I think the beauty of comedy and what makes the people that make it so special is that it is a thing that everybody thinks that they can do you know what I'm saying so like I I encourage I encourage everybody to try that shit everybody do it and that's what's gonna set you apart like I don't get mad if I see like a TikTok star with a hundred thousand followers getting a spot that I've tried to be grind for because if we're gonna be on the same show that's great I want it in my head I'm gonna show you the difference between somebody like that and somebody that's like that's also me. an interesting dynamic that we're seeing now mm-hmm. I guess since shows really came back from the pandemic it's like mm-hmm. you see these TikTok influencers mm-hmm. or whatever maybe on Instagram they'll mm-hmm. have like 150,000 250,000 followers mm-hmm. they'll be selling out the Wall Street Theater in Connecticut mm-hmm. but then you know they're not really on house shows right. in the city and stuff like that right. so it's kind of hard to navigate when you have such a big following and then you're like okay now I want to try and yeah. get into stand-up when you're able to put out your TikTok following and be like hey Hey, come to the show that I'm doing in New York yeah. City. A hundred people will come, and then maybe you're not prepared for that. For sure. When in comedy, like just for years and years, it's been you build your base, build your base, build your base. Now you have the stand-up crowd that you're ready to go. Yeah, facts. In front and of. With, with those with those types of influencers and people, I, I always encourage I encourage them try the shit, do the shit. The only thing that makes it hard if you're promoting it, like, and you have a big following that will actually come out, you're not gonna get better because you're performing in front of your people over and over. Like a benefit that we have, I don't know how you feel about you know your following, but like for me. I know that nobody cares what the fuck I'm doing right now. So if I want to take a chance, I can take a chance. Like I'm learning the hard way. And like over time, you're going to see that hopefully that like all the things that I was building when nobody was watching made me better and ready for the moment when I make people watch. That's almost just like how everyone I feel like for the most part is mm-hmm. that gets into comedy. You yeah. know, it's like you kind of slowly move into careful that Pull my you, phone sl- okay. you slowly get into the open mics, takes mm-hmm. you a while to get comfortable in the mics. Then you start getting those producer shows. You start getting the house shows. Then maybe you start doing your own show. But I think for the most part, you tell me um, how you feel about it. But like when I do the Ted Jones comedy show, like my nervousness level is the most down yeah. as it would be compared to any other show. Yeah, Cause it's your show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm just, I, I kind of feel 
feel like I don't have time to feel mm-hmm. nervous. Do you kind of feel that way when uh, you do your show? Yeah, with my shows, I'm never nervous anymore because those are the shows that I want to take the chances on. So, like, with Street Talk and even with Bodega Kids sometimes, like, we'll take turns headlining it and doing a long set at the end. So, like, it could be one day where I'm hosting and then Lisa's headlining with 20 or Matt is headlining with 30. And, like, we give ourselves the space to... Because you don't get that time a lot in New York City, that big, that long 20 time. 20 or 30, no. 20, 30, it's insane. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's why that's what I do like about having shows is that you give yourself that opportunity, which in New York is, is, is very difficult to do. So that's something that I've built with Max and with Lisa and with Matt that, like, whenever we want to take those chances, because none of us, it's our people, it's our show, that's where we want to take chances. We don't care what other comics are saying. Nobody from the big clubs is watching us when we're doing our shows. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I, I, I love that. I appreciate that. And that's, like, that's invaluable experience. I you think talk about how it's hard to do like 20, 30 minutes on a city show. Absolutely so. Mm-hmm. But I've seen you've gone to places like Albany. Yeah, Is yeah, that yeah. a kind of place where you would do more yeah, extended time, like so, 20, 30? Yeah, when, when, when Max has brought Street Talk to Albany and I've, I've gone with him, um, I've been able to do 20 there and stretch a little bit, which is fun because, like I said, like in New York, that time for somebody like me where I'm in my career, that's very hard to come by. Somebody giving you that time. Besides, there's a couple shows like... Uh, Vency comedy that Trina Alper runs where she they just do comi- like 20 minutes yeah, each three, set, three comics get 20 minute sets and that's like that's like one of the only shows that I know off the top of my head that, that gives those long sets so that's why I like Bodega Kids and, and Street Talk is that when we want to take that time we can make it ourselves be like yo this show I'm, I'm running because I have shit that I want to work on and we're like yo bet like we'll set it up for you we'll host it we'll fucking fill the place out and that's that's the shit that I think has been the most pivotal to my growth is having my own shows and being able to be comfortable and take chances that I wouldn't take on other people. Because it also gives you a huge opportunity to host one, which people yeah. don't always do. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, kind of just like try shit out, mm-hmm. riff, crowd work, whatever. Mm-hmm. How much time are you comfortable on stage now? Somebody was like, "All right, JC, go do as much time as you." Much you time please. is like, if I'm honest, like I'm, I mean, I don't know who's gonna who's gonna watch this. I want to project comedy to be like, I can do an hour right now. Everyone, bro, you know everyone's fucking watch it. He's me. doing an hour. Everyone, book funny em. bone, book me, book everybody, em. come on. But like realistically, um. I'm doing like a, a schedule 30 for the first time this Friday. Where at? Uh, at St. Mark's at uh, 8 o'clock. It's a Bodega Kids show. It's going to be kind of like my birthday show. And uh, I'm doing 30 minutes for the first time and I'm going to like empty the clip, like say everything that I've ever come up with. I hope it's a Shout nice that concept. out, by the way. This is being released today is uh, Friday. Oh, but we'll, um, we'll post that. But you're doing it this Thursday? It's this Friday, uh, July 22nd. My bad, bro. This yeah. is being released Thursday. So shout it out, please. Yeah, this Friday, July 22nd, which is tomorrow, uh, 9 o'clock at St. Mark's Comedy Club is going to be Bodega Kids Comedy. Myself, Lisa Lennis, Matthew Arvalo. We got a great lineup. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm doing 30 minutes for my 30th birthday. I'm very excited. About oh, it. love it, bro. Yeah, 30th man. birthday. That's, it's cool. Man. What does that it's make cool. you? What are you? What, what uh, Do you do Zodiac signs? I'm, not, what is I'm that? not big on Zodiac. I know the Chinese. I'm the year of the monkey. I know that. For <laughs> Chinese New Year. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how big that is with... With astrology, but I'm, I'm, I'm year to monkey, born in 92, and I'm going to be 30. I'm hyped about it. Man. Let's talk about growing up in Astoria. Mm-hmm. You spend, I guess, your whole life in Queens going to St. John's. Was there a particular reason you went to St. John's? Um, so for me, I actually grew up in Long Island, right? I grew up in Valley Stream. But the fun thing about where I grew up is that my town was like, it was it was like the first time, first town in Long Island. Like it's on the border of Queens and Long Island. So like literally half of my street is Queens. The other half is Long Island. So I'm from Valley Stream. I'm from Long Island. But growing up in Long Island, you're not allowed to be from Long Island. You got to be from somewhere else. <laughs> like people that are born in Long Island to Long Island people are losers. So I used to tell everybody I'm from, like I live here, but I'm from Astoria. Never. You know what I'm saying? I have a grandmother that lives there. That's my parents grew up, but I'm Long Island through and through. But I've always been back and forth with Queens. 
But uh, I went to St. John's because my older sister, Tara, got a full scholarship to play soccer there. Oh, wow. And, Dope. Yeah, so I used to go watch all her games, and I just fell in love with the campus, and I was like, I want to go here, too. We played them in uh, tennis. They were always really good. Oh, they yeah? Had, they had a few, like, European guys who... I, the thing is with tennis, like when you go to college play tennis, it almost means that um, your chances of going pro are very slim. Hmm. It's not like football or basketball yeah, yeah, yeah. where you go to college, you get the scholarship, and then you go it's, to the it's league. It's a natural progression. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. With so, tennis, they want, want you to be pro totally from young bro, Like the 18 and 19-year-olds who are in Europe, they're already thinking about going pro. They're not exactly. thinking about going to college That's how it is. That's how I feel like it is for, for a soccer team. Yeah, yeah soccer team as well. American prospect like those club to... teams yeah. or stuff like that. So like, no, no great American soccer players in college. Exactly, bro. Remember Freddie Adu? Oh, my God. Like the 14-year-old. Female. He was, he was supposed he to change the world. He fell off when he was like seventeen or eighteen. They put way too much pressure on that. Way boy. too he, much. He man. didn't have the the time, the space to grow. I'm sure he was talented, but that's what happened no with shot. this guy, Donald Young. So uh -huh. this kid, Donald Young, um, he was a lefty from Georgia. He mm. was 15 years old. He won the Orange Bowl, which is like the biggest junior international tournament, 18 and under. Mm. So he's 15 years old, playing pro tournaments. Maybe when he was 17, he was like 350 in the world, and then like slowly was kind of around that point, got up to like 40 in the world, but mm. then. And now that he's like around our age, he's, yeah. he's kind of nothing, which is a sad thing. It sucks, but it's it's America. I feel like especially they want to find that next young American talent so fast because like when you look at these sports like that can be dominated by other countries like tennis or like soccer, they want to be like no 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 we're like that too because basketball we we dominate baseball we're up there. Football, we're the only country that pretty much plays the barbaric sport. Like, we want to be at the forefront of everything athletic. So to the point where in the sports that we're not necessarily the strongest, we will reach and be like, yo, this guy, 12 years old, I can tell you that he's better than whoever the fuck you have over Like, here. some of the kids who I was going to say, like, playing at St. John's were freaking nasty. These yeah. kids were probably 900, 1,000 in the world when they were coming to St. John's. Mm -hmm. And, like, sound, like, saying that out loud might not sound that good. Mm -hmm. But if you're 900 or 1,000, like, in the NBA, you're, like, one of the best players in Europe. Yeah, you're one of the best players in the Central Football League something like that right. so I used to we used to play them uh, their home court was at the National Tennis Center at the US Open site oh, shit. Oh, so it was yeah, always crazy. dope to play them yeah, like yeah. we'd occasionally win one or two matches but like they were always a solid team in the Big East what's the biggest tournament you ever played in as a tennis player and where'd you go to school by the way interesting question so I played tennis at UConn University oh, of Connecticut shit. Okay, that's so um, they traveled to us we traveled to St. John's mm. but the biggest tournament I ever played in in tennis was I played in the boys 16 and under winter national tournaments in Tucson, Arizona. Okay. I ended up winning one match. And the thing about those tournaments, it was double elimination. Mm -hmm. So I won my first round match, then lost my second round match. And then in the consolation, I lost, mm -hmm. but just winning that first round match. It's and then I was deal. like, yeah, man, I was like top 70 in the country at that particular point. And being top 70 in the country in tennis, like, was freaking solid. Like yeah. you go to these tennis tournaments and you'd see a kid who's like top ten in the East and you'd be like, yo, that kid's a baller. Meanwhile, the East is freaking three states. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's New York, Connecticut, right. and New Jersey. Right. And like if you were top ten in those three states, like you were a serious player, maybe you'd consider going down to a Florida and training at a tennis academy mm -hmm. or Texas and something like that. And like I was super serious to the point where freshman year of high school I actually was homeschooled for tennis oh, shit. I was okay. privately tutored and I would leave on Thursday to go down to a, a tournament in Florida and oh. then I come back Monday and then uh, the tutor would give me the test or whatever and right. I went to a professional performing arts school mm -hmm. that, it was called professional children's school and mm -hmm. I went there specifically for tennis to travel for yeah. sophomore year junior and senior year so like by the time I went to that high school though for sophomore year I was like all right I kind of know that I'm not going to go I'm not going to be that guy yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. but I still want to play t uh, college tennis and yeah, then play I as long up, as I can yeah man yeah. so I ended up playing college tennis for two and a half years and then it was just taking way too much time mm -hmm. there was no real opportunity to go, to go pro and like UConn we were probably at like 50 or 60 in the country when mm -hmm. you look at a St. John's they are really roaming around like 
top 25 oh, shit, maybe okay. 35 something like that which was good but like being at the level we were at U- UConn it was like we were either getting smacked by schools like University of Florida yeah, like University the big of Miami schools, or you Duke. were smacking up the smaller yeah, schools yeah or you were smacking up around uh, Sacred Heart University yeah, yeah, Fairfield yeah, yeah. Right. Hartford stuff sure. like that so a uh, year two and a half came around I was like alright I want to focus on other things in college started taking acting classes drama classes after mm. I dropped the tennis team and I wrote a movie script about Ryan Leaf if you guys want to read it you freaking <laughs> let me know Ted Jones World at gmail.com but that's me Big like up, five years bro yeah, man. now it's like an 118 page movie script but i just found like other ways in terms of like entertainment performance and stuff that i really wanted to be involved Word. in i was a journalism major so i had my okay. own show at uconn that's what's up so uh playing tennis got me to uconn and i think like it's now a great sport and it's fun i can play for like the rest of my life mm-hmm. i so feel like cool. i feel like the way that the things that we pick up in our youth, like for you, it was tennis. Like for you, at one point, I'm sure, like tennis is life. Like this is the only thing I'm ever gonna do. And I was Dude, like that. No I was doubt. like that with baseball. And it's crazy. I how, picked between tennis and baseball, yeah. by the way, when I was 12. Oh yeah, that's crazy. That's such a crazy decision to make when you're so young. It's nuts. But like, it's like if they, they put so much pressure. Even just like, the, dude, I won MVP, and you know Max is over there, uh, Peter yeah, Cooper, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won that little MVP in that literally Peter Stuyvesant literally. Oh shit! And then that weekend, I went to Nike tennis camp. That's so it's like right there where I had yeah. to make the decision. It was just nuts That's decision 12. for That's a twelve year old to but make. It is what it is, and I will say like baseball put me in the same space where like I was chasing baseball so much. That's one of the reasons I went to St. John's because I wanted to walk onto the team, which I ended up doing, but only for like half of the season. Were you on like the practice squad? I was. I made the fall team, the fall roster, and. And then for the spring roster, they had to make roster cuts. And I didn't make well, I know that like spring, that's when like the actual games yeah. are. But what's the difference between so fall is like it's like preseason baseball. Like we would inter squad games, um, pretty much inter squad games practice. No real road travel. It's just everything that happens before you start traveling for the season. So I got to be with like some guys that like ended up in the major leagues, which was really fucking oh, cool. That's huge. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I like uh, who did you ever play against anybody that's like pro now? That's like still big. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. There was not, there wasn't really, I remember I played a little bit of travel baseball when I was like 11 and 12 mm-hmm. and like we went to Westchester. We saw some of the teams that ended up making it to Williamsport, right, right, right. those Harlem teams, mm-hmm. but I haven't really kept up with them. Maybe there's some guys. What about who for tennis? Like anybody MLB? played against in tennis that's like, oh man, this guy's still doing it. Yeah, so there was a kid who I played in doubles who was like, ended up being like 50 in the world in singles. And then there was another kid who played in the same tourna- tournament as me, Dennis Kudla, who ended up being like 50 in the world in singles. But my biggest win in tennis was against Noah Rubin. I was 16 years old. He was 12 years old. And he played in the 16 and under East <laughs> tournament. Like, bro, my serves were hitting the court yeah, and just yeah. bouncing over him. He's like, he's just so small. And now he's like 130 in the world. So yeah. like anytime I would see like him or his coach, I'd be like, yo, I got that double. You, over like, you. Hey, you guys like, are fucking trash okay? dude like tennis if if there's a kid who is now like even the guy okay for example stevie johnson mm-hmm. who i played um years ago he was like three years older than me we had the same tennis coach mm-hmm. so he was kind of doing my tennis coach a favor he played two out of three sets with me beat me six two mm-hmm. six two which in tennis you know it's pretty handily mm-hmm. but he won the team title at university of southern california four years in a row wow. and he won the individual title like the singles championship mm-hmm. two years in a row and he won 72 matches in a row but his highest ranking in on the tour it was like 25 he yeah. hasn't broke the top 25 which is insane yeah. mind-boggling to me good. dude yeah. he was the best college tennis player of all time like people will not break that i don't think ever mm-hmm. and a guy who is that sick and now is like 70 in the world consistently it's just a crazy freaking sport that's nuts man yeah tennis is the great the thing about tennis is always it's like a it's one-on-one man it is mano y mano so like with those rankings like i i 
the way I think of ranks, like, oh, you know, to be top 25 in the country as a team is like a beautiful thing. But to be top 25 as a player, like, it's like, yo, that's so on me. Like, I, granted, you have coaches and shit, but that's that's very much on you. So, it's But like, even if you are top 25 in, like, NCAA, man, mm. like, you, like, let's say you're a senior, you're 25 in the country in singles. Mm. You try and go play pro tournaments. You're starting one at the very low level. So it goes futures, challengers. 250 events, 500 events, 1,000 events, then Grand Slams, which mm. is the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, mm. whatever. Mm. So to win a match in that future tournament on the ground level, mm. like you have to be top 800 in the world. And That's those so kids who are 25 in the country in singles, that maybe they're around there. Maybe yeah. they're around 700, 800. Because mm. those kids who are top 25 in the country, or they would be if they went to college, mm. they're 22 years old, they're training in Spain, and yeah. they have been for the past the four years. Yeah, yeah. yeah like professionally training. So like baseball obviously is an insane mm. way to get to the top also because when you first get drafted they put you usually in like single a right yeah, you, and you like go to summer ball a, you go to rookie you go to rookie league then you go to single a then double like there's like four different levels of minor league baseball that you got to rise through to get to the top and it's, it's crazy. and you have to be hot the whole time yeah. the good thing that i do like about baseball though like people that you'll see like that make it to the mlb like there's professional talent in division three baseball there's professional talent in juco like basketball you don't really see that like people coming from D3 to go to the NBA it's or you see it but it's super rare but baseball that happens all the time like just somebody that figured it out late and is like oh this guy is like and they'll just really? rise it's crazy you rarely rarely see that in a football situation yeah, football maybe somebody now, yeah. somebody could be potentially like a defensive tackle yeah. maybe they gain 50 pounds they improve their 40 yeah. they're more flexible maybe that's, that's a situation that's why, like, that's why when you see it it's like oh this guy he got a walk, he's a walk on and now he's a scholarship but he's still a fucking like He's still at Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Like, like tennis, bro, that would never, never happen. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. I remember, I think it was the yeah, it was the second round of the Big East Tennis Tournament. We were playing Louisville at University of uh, South Florida. We played them in the team event. And like when you go up against a team like Louisville, all the kids on the team were top 50 in the country in juniors. And like all the kids on our team were maybe top 300 in the country of juniors. Mm -hmm. So like you knew right away that like all of us had to win. And mm -hmm. that was just not maybe one of us would get lucky and win. But like a circumstance like that, it would just be like tennis is a sport that like you're fucking good. You're at a high level. Mm -hmm. You really wouldn't be losing to somebody at this kind of level just because mm -hmm. it's it's shot by shot by shot, mm -hmm. which maybe I can say it could be the same for golf. I don't know. You golfers out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but like it's every freaking shot. And a yeah. guy who's on tour probably wouldn't lose to a guy who um, is having a great day. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. What do you think is more difficult or what's been more difficult for you? Uh, tennis or comedy? <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, I just don't think I ever took tennis as serious as I should man mm. I had a lot handed to me I will say like okay. my parents were just when it came to tennis my parents were like here you go here you go like anything I kind of wanted to do I was like oh I want to play I want to go play on this particular day mm -hmm. at this um, tennis academy in New York sure whatever mm -hmm. I want to go to this tournament in Long Island sure whatever just like I was I was spoiled to the fact that I was able to play tennis so much and being mm -hmm. in New York it's tough sometimes to play tennis because you yeah. can imagine the court time the fees yeah, when somebody who's in Florida they go out and they're there for yeah they're mm -hmm. just there on the corner um, for hours at a time but I just don't think I took tennis as seriously mentally and I think that's just because you were so young I was You're freaking kid. young yeah. bro I had no idea I was like yeah I want to train hard yeah I want to do this but then there'd be hours in a day multiple hours in a week where I just did not give a shit and mm. I was just like alright whatever I'd be flirting with girls on court mm -hmm, four mm -hmm, I'd be mm -hmm. on court one so it was like 
I think that tennis, since the day I was like, took it on full time and I was like, I really want to do this. I've been focused and like, I, in wanting to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been passionate about Mm -hmm. it too. So I'd say tennis was harder for me back then. And emotionally, man, I used to get so pissed on the court too. Be throwing my stick and whatever. I was the same way. I used to cry almost every time I struck out up until (laughs) I was like like 16, bro. I cried so much. What what position were you? I was an outfielder. So I played center and left. So you played on the high school team? Yeah, I played in high school. I played a little bit in college. I almost actually transferred from St. John's to a smaller school uh, called Concordia because that was like the only school that like actively wanted me to come. Yeah, it's like it's up in Bronxville. And uh, they like actively wanted me to come play. They were going to give me like scholarship. Oh, wow. And uh, I had to make a decision like if I'm going to leave like and at St. John's, that's when I had just met, you know, all the friends that I'm still close with today. I ended up meeting the friend that, you know, we we've done movies and stuff together. And uh, the friend who ended up putting me onto the girl that knew Cypher Sound. So, like, if I would have made a different decision, I wouldn't necessarily be here. When did Concordia's show interest in you? That was 2011. That was my sophomore year of college. Because, like, I would still play summer ball and I would be, I would be pretty good. And they'd be like, yo, you're not going to... Like, you can maybe make it at St. John's, but you could definitely come here and play. And, like, there's, a, there's an actual route to whatever you want from baseball at the school because you can play here. And you're not going to get that at St. John's. So I had to make a decision. Like, did I think the keeping the dream of baseball alive was more important than whatever I thought. Cause I didn't even know what I was building at St. John's, but like, I just knew that the people I was around was special. So I had to make a decision. Like, am I going to keep going for baseball? Or am I going to just stay and see what this is that I'm finding? And I ended up staying and I, and I think it was one of the biggest decisions that I've ever made without knowing it. Well, how close were you to, you know, going to me? Were you like filling out papers or no? I, w- I took an official visit. I, you know, looked at classes. I talked to people on the team. It's just, the school was just so small. And, like, St. John's is not a huge school, like, on campus, but, like, the, the, there's so many students, there's so many people, like, and I created a nice little corner of it for myself where I was like, oh, this is so much fun. And, yeah, Concordia, I just didn't think that I was going to have the same experience, and I feared that I was going to regret choosing baseball off over the experience that I felt was really special. It's a great decision on your part. Yeah, it it back, ended up you know? being a great decision. Right. And I think it's I think it's perfect because I think I feel now I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to. And I was good at baseball, but I definitely was not mentally strong enough to make to be a pro. Like I was so high strung, I was like like I wanted to do well so badly that I couldn't like failure is such a big part of baseball and I couldn't take it. That's why I think that's why it took me so long to get into stand up. Because okay. failure's a part of stand up too. Bro, I think that I think I kind of had the same mindset too yeah, when I was just like so close to so many good tennis players that were playing at the same tennis academy, mm-hmm. kids who were top ten in the East. I was Facts. like, I wanna be top ten in yeah. the East. Like, I wanna be number one in the country. And I, I wanna give I don't wanna give an excuse for myself. I've told you guys so many times on here, but I just realistically did not start tennis at an age where a lot of kids in Europe and a lot of kids in Florida and those other states where they can play full year round mm. started when they were four or five years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. And the difference between starting four or five years old and starting at 10 or 11 years old is that when you try and lift the tennis racket, mm-hmm. when you were four or five years old, your technique is already there. Mm-hmm. You're lifting from the hips and mm-hmm. then afterwards your right, your arm is following, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to when I'm 10 years old, I'm like, oh, I want to hit this ball hard. All right, let's put this arm yeah, back yeah, and then yeah. smack it all with my arm. When you're four or five years old, you're moving from the core naturally yeah. flowing. You're growing as a person who understands the technique. So like things come innately to you at a, at a, the preteen age that somebody's still learning. Like somebody like that picks it up later still learning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like when you're that. four or five years old, you're not thinking about hitting the ball as hard yeah. as you can. You're just a sponge. You're yeah. And you're thinking about floor. moving those hips yeah. and really grooving in, with the ball. So, so uh, I, I mean, tennis was definitely a huge life lesson for me, especially since the amount of time that I put into it. Mm. And I saw myself not getting what I wanted to get out of it. Mm. I think that maybe that was kind of a, it made my comedy career kind of start slowly. Yo, 
I feel the same exact way. So you know Julio Gallerati, right? Uh, the Julio, yeah, yeah, not Julio. So by the way, guys, opening for Julio. If you're in Boston this Sunday, Crystal Ballroom. Um, I'll put the freaking link right here. Oh, that's what's up. Congratulations, man. That'll be dope. So I, I ended up. He was my tennis coach, bro. When I when I was 12 years old, that's crazy. He was like 17, 18 years old, teaching at this summer country club. He went to Boston University. He played tennis at Boston University. Was looking for a summer gig. Got this gig in Long Island. So I was a, a junior there. I was like the best junior in this mm-hmm. club, and he would play with me all the time. And then once he graduated college, when he was like twenty two or twenty three, he moved to the city. Started working in a real estate job for like a year, and then he got more involved in comedy. Yeah, so yeah. once I graduated college, like I would follow him around to almost every show for yeah. years, for Yo, three or four insane. years. Man. Like I wouldn't go up; I would just go. I'd bring some dates sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I'd be drinking in the crowd, just watching him follow, following him. He'd be like, "You want to come to this show?" I would just go around. I'd watch him, and then I wanted to get involved in the performing arts in some by some. I don't know, attachment Something or whatever. You just didn't know what yeah, man. Was. So I had my show at UConn and mm-hmm. I was like, I kind of want to do this. I took a lot of improv mm-hmm. at UConn. So I got involved in UCB. I still have the, the oh, yeah, Herald sign UCB. hanging yeah, over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I and I took 101, 201, 301, 401, loved it. And um, a few years passed by. I was working at my dad's company in real estate, kind of had everything on a fucking platter. So right. I was like, why not just stick in with real estate? I like mm-hmm. it. It's cool. Two or three years went by. I was like, this is not for me. So mm-hmm. I started taking improv more seriously than the pandemic hit. Yeah, man. And at that point, I was like, all right, I need to switch something. And, and you know, UCB freaking closed down. Yeah. So that's not even an option anymore. Yeah. So I think it's opening back up, but it's still yeah, yeah, yeah. Closed. I heard, yeah. I heard that as well. But um, like besides that, I was just like, I want to perform more. So started the podcast, Work. started doing the vlogs relatively recently. But like, I think just the switch for me was seeing Julio do it so much and I yeah. finally built up enough courage because like he had the show called Fat Baby mm-hmm. um, at, it was at a bar called Fat Baby and they also had it at the stand years ago yeah, yeah. and there would be maybe a handful of times I used to go up and do five minutes but right. like I'd go up in my suit after work you know yeah. nothing serious I'd be wasted I didn't mm-hmm. remember my set but I think just slowly seeing it firsthand and me being in the audience and then kind of developing my confidence where I would see other people on stage and be like, oh, I could potentially do Mm -hmm. as well as they just did, whether I would bomb or whatever. And then I went to open mics and like you, I'd go to one open mic and then maybe four four months later I'd go, maybe I'd do somebody's show, Mm -hmm. I'd do something that would... Um, give me the kind of adrenaline that we all get when mm-hmm. we're on stage. Mm-hmm. And then I just slowly started to follow that. And then once the pandemic came, like once we started to do shows more so, I did mm-hmm. the Ted Jones comedy show at um, Asylum over yeah, here. Yeah, I remember that. And then um, we've just been doing more and more shows. And then I've just become more comfortable over like oh, the last two years. That's amazing, man. I love that. That's that who that Julio shot that's crazy. That's such a You're crazy the story. only person who's really freaked out about it. When I think it's the craziest yeah, story that of is, all time. That is he was my tennis coach. That is in, that's really insane because we were talking about like the way that, you know, sports somehow, you know, shapes your life and that's that's a beautiful thing. That's such a crazy way to meet somebody that's so influential in your life that you never realize. Massively influential. That's, shout out yeah. to Julio, man. That's what's up. That's hilarious. Holy shit. That's crazy. Yeah. So so what who, what what Julio is for you, that's who I felt like Julio was for me. Like I never followed him around, but like I did I always kept up with his journey. Is and he like, the same age as us? Uh, I think uh Julio might be younger. Like I don't know how old you are. I think Julio 30, is like, I'm thirty. Yeah, Julio, I think I want to say he's twenty seven. Twenty six, okay. twenty seven, he's a little bit younger. But yeah, he's a beast, man. But yeah, just watching like keeping up with him on socials and all all like all of the his homies that I met, like I was like, damn, Julio's like moving up, moving up, moving up. And when I started, by the time I like got on shows with Julio, I was like, oh, he's he's been he's been working, and I, that that's so Julio. I feel like Julio and and well, I, actually, almost a lot of people do, but like Julio 
And Aravalo, I feel like I'm like, yo, I'm always looking at their backs. I'm like, yo, that's who I want to, that's who I'm trying to keep up with. And like, cause Matt started, you know, have you met Matt before? You know Matt, right? Matt yeah, I met, I met him when I came to yeah, St. Mark's. So, okay, time. exactly. So Matt been doing comedy since he was 15, right? He's 21. So he's like almost nine years younger than me, but he is so farther, so much farther ahead in his understanding of comedy than I am. So like I watch like, cause that's how you were saying like somebody picks up a tennis racket at four and have a different opportunity to grow. Like, cause they're growing as a person, but they're also fluid because they know they're just innate. That's how I look at Matt in comedy. I'm like, oh my God, bro. You don't even realize that. Like, he's fucking 15. He's 21. I also think, like, like exactly bro. how you're saying, you know, somebody going up at 15 and learning yeah, the ropes man. is different than somebody going up at 25 learning the ropes. Yeah. You're like, 25 learning the ropes. You're like, all right, what's the funniest fucking thing I can say right now? Yeah, oh, you, shit, there's a pause. I gotta say something. Yeah, funny you, have, right you have now. a different, you have different mental blocks that stop you. So that's why it's always so much fun for me to watch Matt because he's, this is somebody that's grown with comedy. So he's becoming a man as he's becoming a better comic every day. So it's like, I yeah, watch him and I'm great. like, I love seeing I'm like, oh man, like this, I, I love being around people like that and I feel that way about Lisa and I feel that way about Max and like just watching them like because they all do different things way better than me so having those people around has been such a such a blessing where I'm like all right I, I want to take Lisa's timing on this one I want to take Matt's comfortability I want to take Max's tags like not his, ta his physical tags but like Max write a joke tag 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 like and I see all of those things and I'm like all right this is it's like being in the gym you know what I'm saying it's like all right he's doing pull-ups I'm gonna do them too I don't want to get left back so that's that's been really cool. Yeah, like that'll make you look a little bit better if I start to do some pull ups. All yeah, right, I'll man. Start to do like some yo, because it's, it's like you don't want to get left behind, and I hope they see me working and like yo, we got to keep up. And it's that's that's been the fun thing I feel about. Not that we're all in a pandemic class, but like comic like comedians that I look around and consider peers. Like I feel like we're all like especially the ones that rose a little bit higher during the pandemic because that was a crazy time for comedy. I look around at them and they're like, oh, they're they're all hungry. That's the difference. Like, they're fucking starving. What kind yeah. of stuff were you doing during the pandemic? Were you doing Zoom shows? So, yeah, I had Zoom shows, park shows, um, big. I was on a training day a lot with Jared Waters. We was doing shows in the snow, uh, running late with Cab Washington. I know you had Cab. Cab used to throw a show in, uh, in Brooklyn, in Bushwick. That was on, like, the most hectic street corner in New York. Like, it was right on the corner of East New York. It was, like, outdoors? Yeah, outdoors. Wow. It was fucking, East like... East New York on Bushwick Avenue? I was hosting... The, I can't remember exactly what Avenue. It's called Trey Lee Lounge. But it's, like, right... It was, you no know, in the fucking hood. And, <laughs> like, we was on... I was hosting his show, like, through fucking ambulances. And I remember the funniest thing. I was hosting his show the day after DMX died. So mad people just riding through, bumping DMX. It was insane. And I have, like... There's so many shows like that that was happening during the pandemic that was like it felt like training with a weighted vest you know like being in the cryogenic chamber like yo with the like the zero gravity from Dragon Ball Z type shit like yeah. yo whatever we're doing now it's gonna be times 10 because I remember the first time I got into an actual room for comedy was um, Eastville Comedy Club but what do you mean extra room like a no an actual room like uh -oh. a room like a comedy club like a room that was made to have comedy shows and it was a small show. It was fun. But I remember the last that I got, they would like hit the wall and they would stand and be like, oh, this is how it's supposed to feel. I've been used to having my shit go out into the sky. So I've been working 10 times as hard for these laughs because to make it feel like it's real laughter, you have to try a lot harder outside. So by the time I got inside, it was like taking like a fucking weighted vest off. I'm like, oh, oh, Love that's that, so dude. people that's like that's why you see like people became monsters outside. And that's why a lot of those people are, are starting to get those club spots now is because they were they're training on a different frequency. Was there a turning point where you were like, all right, I'm going to do this shit full time? Um, it was it was right before the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to go all in. And um, did you have anything planned maybe in March or April of 2020? I did. So I had two shows that I was supposed to be on. Nothing for myself, like nothing produced. I was just like because I don't pre pandemic comedy was like insane to break into. Like the meet the I felt I felt at least like. Meeting people was impossible because comics can be standoffish. Like, 
open mics, I didn't realize that from open mics, it's very hard to get to shows. Like you have to go to shows to hang out. I didn't know that. So I was just at mics and it was very rare that I meet somebody who liked me enough to give me a spot in their show from a mic. And that's just like when you go to the mics in the city, nobody fucking watched. They would do their five minutes, go back to the bar. Like it was awful. So the pandemic was an opportunity where like since no clubs were happening, it gave us a lot more power to throw shows because like the stand had no shows. New York Comedy Club could like they couldn't throw shows, so I feel like those produce shows that came up like I felt like we had some power. We had we I was on shows with people that I had no business being on shows with. Like I remember being on my first show with Mark Norman. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> Where was it? That's, that was it was Street Talk. It was definitely Street Talk in a in an alley. But I was like, dog, like this is insane. That and like for other people, my goal is like I don't want you to be able to pick the new like pick me out of a lineup like yo he's like everybody was good but you can tell he's raw so like just being on those shows with those people like put me in a different like mode i was like yo i gotta keep up so i feel like the pandemic really like was the like sorry if you died but this is the best thing that could happen for comedy at least in new york i feel like yeah it's great even shook to, the whole yeah, shit up. dude even to think back at that time everyone was bugging the fuck out shook i mean like yeah like you couldn't go anywhere in March 2020 I was mm-hmm. in Long Island for almost three months mm-hmm. so you kind of have I don't want to say a unique perspective but I think you have a perspective that potentially a lot of people growing up being the funny guy in high school funny mm-hmm. guy in middle school a lot of friends you want to be funny on Snapchat thanks, thanks. and then you kind of had this app- opportunity that not really came out of the blue but came out of somewhere yeah. where you wouldn't have expected mm-hmm. this to come so do you have any kind of suggestions or advice to kind of get to the point where you are where you're comfortable at multiple house shows doing yeah. shows all over the place traveling yeah. like yeah. how'd you get to a certain point so I would say if I had any advice and granted I'm probably not the best person to listen to but my biggest advice if I especially if I always think of what I would tell myself who was younger yeah that's like, great I wish I would have done this shit when I was 22 you know what I'm saying but my advice is you have to just do it that's like corny but like go to those mics be willing to feel like shit like when you feel like you're awful it doesn't matter and those terrible like, butterflies what, whatever right? whatever you're feeling like yo people are gonna think I'm corny people aren't gonna think that I'm funny people are gonna know that I'm trash all of those things do not matter I've seen a million comics bomb I've seen a million comics crush I've seen comics that I know are terrible do amazing and I've seen comics that are Comedy Central do trash and that's not because of anything other than it just happens sometimes so whatever garbage feelings you feel after a mic go back and subject yourself to it again comedy to me is uh, how much are you willing to take how low are you willing to feel to eventually because the more you do it the better you get period like you're not going to keep doing it and get worse you're going to get more comfortable you're going to be able to like I say Keep will, be willing to feel like shit. Record everything so you can watch it back. I and think be that's like, a big one. Also. Yeah, record everything, even if it's not physical. Get a voice note. Record everything. And some comics don't, and that's cool for me. It is very important. Listen to everything you do. Go a hundred times. Go as much as you possibly can. And like all the feelings of like, oh my god, they're gonna think I'm corny. Don't ever listen to those because it doesn't matter. Even if you're garbage for like four years, if this is what you want to do. You will figure it out. This is one of the, this is like I said before, like I feel like anybody can do comedy. Not that everybody can be successful, but if in your heart that's what you want, you have to be willing to feel like shit and then know that on the other side of it, you're going to come out better and funnier and that it's going to put you in a better place. And I feel like that's what it was for me. Just be once I realized that, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, how bad I feel. People are not looking at me like that. Like we're so caught up in ourselves that we think everybody's looking at, like nobody gives a fuck about what I'm doing. It's just about me. How how much am I willing to take? How much can I feel like, damn, I fucking suck today? How often am I willing to sit with that feeling to keep going? And that's what I would say. Just don't pay attention to that feeling. If this is what you want to do, do it every day. And don't stop, right? Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't get complacent. Don't If you bomb in front of your idol, it doesn't matter. Like They might not fuck with you, but there's so much 
there's so much other opportunity that you can do. Like one show is not going to kill you. One show is not going to make you. Like I've also learned that the shows that I think are going to be the shows that take me to the top, like yo, this is the one. Those are the shows that nobody fucking cares about. And also and maybe gonna, like you, you're a good hanger too. Yeah, like, you yeah, just that's, like, yeah. In terms of like hanging, maybe yeah. that particular night you might meet someone that you never yeah. thought you would have met. Oh yeah, for comedy, I would say the hang is a, has been big for me. Um, it's it's hard to explain to people who aren't in comedy how important it is because like you hang with somebody and it might not mean anything that day, but like. Next time that person sees you, they feel the level of comfort that if you end up pulling up to their show and somebody drops, like, they'll be like, oh, you want to go up? Because I need somebody. And, like, they'll feel comfortable with you. And it's, comedy is so much of a, you know, you're, it's a face game. Like, people have to know you. They have to see you. They have to be confident that you can do well on stage because they've seen you in spaces. And that's happened to me before. Like, one time, like, one of my good friends, Simon Yu, he runs Thank Face, which is one of the best shows in New York. And uh, he's one of my guys that like, we chilled a bunch of times, like we've talked writing. And one time I was at his show and Julio ended up dropping because he had another show, he was busy. And he was like, yo, I need somebody to go up and do 10. And I was like, perfect. And that's, I can't explain that. Like there was like three nights of me and Simon hanging out till late that led to that moment. You know what I'm saying? And then you never know what it's going to be, but you got to be nice to everybody, meet everybody. If you want to be on a show, go to that show. If you want to fucking work with somebody, introduce yourself to that person. And you have to be present. You can't, it's, comedy's not a game where you can show up, do your shit, and leave. Unless you're like that guy. But I feel like if you're getting before started... Before that, that, before you were that guy, yeah, you're probably chilling yeah, and Yeah, I'm, I'm chilling every like day that. still. Like, I, I'm, like yesterday, I w- I'm, I'm still hungover from Sunday right now. So, like, this is... <laughs> Dude, that's also how I like it, by the way. 48-hour <laughs> yeah, you know, hangover. Yeah, and I'm like, yo... So, yesterday's the first day I took off in, like, two weeks. But if you have the time and the energy, you have to be doing that shit. You gotta be hanging, meeting people, always networking. And uh, it's actually funny because I thought that I was going to skip all the corporate stuff when I chose to do comedy. But a lot of it is still a corporate family. You have to hang. You got to meet people. You got to do the happy hours. You got to like, you know, shake the hands, meet people that you wouldn't necessarily always talk to. And that's such a big part of what comedy is to me. Not because I love to do it, because I know this is important to other people for them to be comfortable with me. And the people that I end up putting on my shows is people that I like, you know, people that that I fuck with who's got good energy that I'm more likely to throw you up if I've hung out with you before if, other than somebody that I've heard is funny that I've never met you know what I'm saying also by the way guys JC will be getting on the Ted Jones comedy show September when we get the date and part of the reason obviously not full of mm-hmm. the reason this guy's very funny but like part of the reason I see him hanging around the Ted Jones comedy show sometimes yeah, man. I see him at the stand all the time mm-hmm. so I think just like you're saying having a familiar face yeah, man. knowing it, that you're funny um, I mean it's just gonna continuously just get you places where you wanna grow yeah and especially like for you right you're opening up for Julio, right? And so much of that is just Julio is confident that you're a good dude to be around, that he can fuck with you. Obviously, you're funny. Obviously, you work hard. But like, Julio wouldn't give you this opportunity if he didn't trust that you were a cool person to spend that's a lot of time Cab with. was also talking about, too. He knows, like, yeah. the hang is super important. You don't want to go to someone five days in Boise, Idaho, yeah, facts, and they're man. a terrible hang. Exactly. And Cab is one of the, like, Cab and Max, I used to not go anywhere without them because, like, I'm not a shy person, but I always feel, like like I told you before, I don't like approaching people, like, because I feel weird. So Cab, a lot, was the person that I would go with and be like, Cab, introduce me to everybody here so that when I come back, I don't have to be with you, but I wouldn't go anywhere without Cab because Cab would be, he's such a big personality. He'll just be like, oh, what's up? You know this guy? You know this guy? And he'll just introduce you to anybody. So I used to follow Cab around all the time because he was so good at the hang. And I learned a lot from him. And Max, too. Max is like that. Love it. 
the mm-hmm. homies. JC, thank you so Welcome much for coming on the podcast, bro. Shout out the show one more time. We're putting the link right here. Yes, sir. And then also shout out your Instagram, please. Appreciate it, man. Also, the show is Bodega Kids. It happens this Friday at St. Mark's at 9 o'clock. Free show. Come through. Great lineup. Uh, I also got Street Talk on the 30th, and I got Brownish on the 31st. So I got three shows. Pick anyone that I'll consider my birthday gift, all right? And uh, my Instagram is at PeachFuzzPoppy, TikTok at PeachFuzzPoppy, Twitter at PeachFuzzPoppy. Beautiful. And get to that show in September. Check the link in this YouTube video. It's Ted Jones Comedy Show. You'll see JC there, all right, guys? We'll see you next time. Peace.